What's going on, Spitfires? Welcome back to another episode of the Spitfire Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lemonian, the Spitfire Coach, coming back at you with another episode. And uh, I've taken a little break. I uh, have been traveling like nobody's business. Apparently, uh, in June, when everybody thought that we were returning to normal, is when everyone started booking events. So I had five events in the month of October. Uh, still have two more before the end of the month is over. Really happy to be back interacting with people. I have to say that it was it was pretty anxiety inducing being around people traveling that much. Um, but you know personal safety, and I'm sure you can go listen back to any episodes where I talk about taking care of your own safety elements to make sure that you're good and being in control of you. And I guess today is kind of a an offshoot, or it's, it's diving in deeper, I'll say, around safety. Um, a lot of the things that I'm talking about with clients, a lot of topics that people are asking me to speak on is around psychological safety. And I just did a virtual conference on this for the nonprofit risk management center on psychological safety, how it shows up in the workplace and specifically in nonprofits. And I was really uh, interested in sharing these questions that came as a result. So they did a, a pre-recording. I was actually in Florida when this went live, but I wanted to share some of the questions because I was a bit shocked when I saw them of like, oh wow, we've got a lot of work to do here. But I realized I've been out of the corporate space for almost six years, I have my own company, so therefore I'm making my own rules and my own boundaries, and my own structure for the most part. And so having these questions and sharing them, we can have a different conversation about them. And I just wanted to share my responses and, and the questions to help give you a better understanding of what are these topics that are showing up, how to have conversations around them, and then what do you do about it moving forward? And we're not gonna finish all of this, we're not gonna wrap this up in a nice bow after one podcast episode, but I want to just kind of provoke some constructive thinking around it because I know that this topic, especially as it relates to DEI, is really uncomfortable. In fact, a lot of the conversations that I'm having in a strategy session and with clients, people are uncomfortable. They're like, I'm so afraid of making the wrong move that I'm just gonna shut down and shut up. But all that's doing is really creating resentment and disengagement and burnout as far as I'm concerned. So let's have the conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's open our mind, open our eyes, and start being honest in a constructive way. So let's dive into the questions. All right, so here's the first question, and we're going to keep this anonymous because uh, that is the way to create psychological safety when we are starting a new relationship and people are sharing things that are not so comfortable. So the question is, how can you have psychological safety if you don't have trust specifically with a supervisor? And so I saw this and I was like, oh wow, yeah, no, you can't. You can't have psychological safety if you don't have trust. And we mentioned this a bit in, in our presentation, but the reality is you cannot have one without the other. Trust is something that leads to psychological safety, but you can't have a psychologically safe organization or relationship or team without trust. And the reason for that is psychological safety is a culture and environment of rewarded vulnerability meaning that I feel open to share my whole self, to share things that are close to me that aren't just you know surface level things, but things that really could create high levels of social risk or intellectual risk for me in sharing them. So I have to feel like there is a safe environment 
where I'm not going to be ridiculed or judged for sharing that. And so you cannot have psychological safety on any of those four stages. So the inclusion safety, the learner safety, the contributor safety, and the challenger safety without trust. The trust that you will not judge me or ridicule me or the trust that I am safe to share this about myself. So if there is a dynamic between the supervisor and the employee, there is an opportunity here, but it has to be mutually created, maintained, and sustained. Meaning, I can't just come in as the employee and say, listen, supervisor, I'm here to build some trust with you, uh, so you gotta give it to me. There has to be some sort of shared agreements or shared values or shared goals in order to start building that trust. And so the way to do that is to start with the conversation. So what are the goals that we have in common? What are our shared missions? And we may be speaking two totally different languages, even though we're both speaking the same language on paper. Meaning, I may be a big vision person. I may look at the huge purpose in what we're doing, and you may really want to focus on the nuts and bolts, the specifics. You want to know how is this going to impact our bottom line. And so in order to align, I have to understand what are your priorities? What's most important to you? What do you need in order to open up, to feel more vulnerable, to share, and to start listening? So if we're not listening, if we're only there to be heard, but we're not willing to hear ourselves or hear someone else, then we're kind of at an impasse where we have two agendas, two rams essentially charging at each other and creating a lot of friction and conflict, which is probably what we're seeing here. So if the, if the trust isn't there with the supervisor, there's probably been some trauma and baggage from both parties. So maybe the supervisor has been burned by employees who don't, do what they say they're going to do. And maybe the employee has been burned by a supervisor who doesn't listen or railroads decisions that they're trying to make. So it, this is a gradual process. There has to be a reset though. So if there is not a sense that there's trust there, we need to do a little bit of a timeout and, and step into it. So don't step away from it, step into it. It's just saying, here's what I'm noticing. I'm noticing that we're not really understanding each other or we're kind of speaking from two different angles. And so he, when you're saying this, here's what I'm hearing and here's what I need in order for us to really meet these goals that we have together. So I'm curious what your take is on this. So this may be uncomfortable. This is a new way of doing it. And believe me, it feels natural to me because I practice and I work with a lot of my clients. But the first time I had to do this with someone, it was super scary and uncomfortable. And that's how you know that it's big and it's important. If you don't feel a little awkward, then it's not growth. So we have to practice. We have to start understanding that everyone has their own stuff. Everyone has their own preferences and everyone sees things a little bit differently or sometimes a lot a bit differently. And so when we don't have trust, let's look at it from the lens of, well, what might be a trust building action or activity that I can do? How do I become the model of change? Now, you can only do so much. You are not in charge of changing the entire environment and culture of your organization. But what you can do is be that grassroots leader. You can model the change you want to see with your colleagues. So if you're noticing that there's a lot of timidness or defensiveness, you can elevate them and saying, you know what, I'm going to include you here. I'm going to bring you into my ecosystem where we trust and respect each other. And from that, you can start to grow. Now, you may be in an organization that is riddled with very unsafe practices. 
And when that happens, you need to do one of two things. The first one is to protect yourself. Meaning when you go in there, you need to be very careful on what you share and what you don't share. So it's like having a strategy of understanding that you're suiting up and you may not be safe. So you have to play a role essentially to get through the day. And then you probably should be looking to get the hell out of there because unless the company is signaling that they want to change, they're not going to. And most of these companies that are doing like the just brand washing of DEI stuff are the major culprits of really toxic and unsafe environments. So when you have to pretend who you are, then you're exhausted, you're not feeling heard, and it is not up to the employees to change the culture of the company. It has to start with the C-suite. And so this is why we're seeing the great resignation. We're seeing people get the hell out of these companies that are abusive, that are exploitative. That's what this is. And uh, if you work for one of these companies, the reason I say put the hazmat suit on is because you need to set yourself up for another place to go. You need to start strategizing and have a plan so that you don't leave yourself in a reactive and emotional state because then you will go with the baggage that you've had before and that you've acquired in this company. So you can only change what is within you. You can only model the change that you want to see, but guess what? It's up to the other people to want to get on board or not. And it's up to the company to wake up or to continue what it's going to do. So a non-choice is still a choice. And when people and companies show you are, you probably should start believing them and then make a better choice for you. You see, there are tons of jobs out there and there are tons of companies that are looking for amazing talent who will treat you right who will be aligned in your values, who will understand that you're a human being with human needs. This whole like, you should be lucky you have a job or we do what we want. Like it doesn't work. It never worked. It's intimidation and is, and frankly, it's bullshit. So uh, I'm here to tell you that if you are in one of these environments, you should be working with someone right now to help resolve your trauma and your baggage. A therapist, a coach, trauma go with a therapist, strategies with resume and, and, um, job hunting, work with a coach, but you need to start building strategies to get out of there. This is not going to resolve itself on its own. And if you are a change maker, if you are a decision maker in the C-suite, you need to start making change immediately. This is an emergency level because if you have not started to see the mass exodus, guess what? It's coming. People are talking. People are waking up. They're probably listening to this podcast right now. So you've been put on notice that uh, it's time to start cleaning up. And if you want to know how to clean it up, you got to first start by looking in the mirror and doing a third party assessment. I'm using the four stages of psychological safety with teams and they are having some major eye openers. You see, we all want to have this idea that we can challenge each other and have these great radical candor conversations. But the reality is we haven't built the trust. We haven't created inclusion. We haven't created equity. And yet we're like, yes, everyone should feel safe to challenge. Well, they don't. They're scared shitless because they've been reprimanded and felt small. And when they don't look like decision makers, guess who's not going to speak up? Or when they do speak up, oh, they're too big for their britches. I've heard that one come up a bit. And in fact, it was thrown in my face quite often in my, in my uh, corporate career. So 
this whole like people just need to get over and they're too sensitive is not the reality of things and I'm glad that you can live in denial and delusion and I'm not talking to anybody that's actually a listener of this show because I know that y'all are smarter than that um, but this is what's happening so people are scared people who are in decision making uh, positions are scared they're gonna be super defensive and people who have had enough have really had enough so we are ripe for conflict we are ripe for friction so I want you to put your hands on 10 and 2 and start driving into the life you want to have which means being composed being thoughtful having future vision you cannot do those things if you're under a state of stress and guess what if you don't have psychological safety chances are you are probably pretty stressed out so this first starts with you feeling safe within you what is it that you need to feel safe you probably need to breathe. You probably need to take breaks. And you probably need to stop taking all of this personally. Because guess what? It has nothing to do with you. This is a system that has been set in place for a long time. And it's now being dismantled. I don't think it's being dismantled nearly fast enough. But with any change, people are going to have a lot of, of feelings about it. So do not absorb these feelings as your own. Do not absorb other people's stress as your own. It is their story. So that was a very long-winded answer to question one, but uh, I hope that this made you think a little bit. And if you have other questions about this, feel free to reach out, lauren at spitfirecoach.com. Um, I'm going to get to question two. All right, here we go. Here's the question. I've had other executives tell me that only the oppressed can help the oppressed, which I can see is valid to a certain extent, but I disagree. Thoughts. Well, this, uh, this definitely triggered a response, and I, and I can, if I put positive intent forward on, on the executives that said this, I think what they're talking about is empathy. So a person with an empathetic viewpoint can help someone else because they have the same experience or a similar experience. But uh, from a logical standpoint, I got triggered like nobody's business when I read this because when we think about people who have been oppressed, that's trauma. That's compounded trauma over sustained time. And to then put the onus on them or other people who have experienced that trauma, really what that does is creates this like triggering effect of trauma. So when you have people who are, who are still healing, to put them in a position where they are now responsible for healing other people is really hard and and creates even more trauma it's like reopening the wound and I think that happens a lot where the expectation is well you understand what I'm going through and so you can help me but we haven't actually fixed the problem we haven't stopped the trauma this is active trauma in a systemic sense so if we don't have psychological safety that person still is not safe on either end the person that needs help and is helping and so I'm going to really push back on this because this sounds to me like grade A blame punting behavior. This sounds like I, I wash my hands of this. I don't, uh, you know, I haven't had this experience, so I don't know what to do. And so, uh, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to put somebody else in charge here. This is exactly what happened after the murder of George Floyd. In a lot of companies, people went to their employees of color and said, hey, can you write our statement? Can you, can you come from your perspective for your people? Well, holy shit, what do you think that's going to do? It's going to trigger the crap out of people. Or they went to their HR department and were like, hey, can you do this? Take responsibility. If you don't know what to say, 
then that's what third-party consultants are for. That's what experts are for because they've been trained in knowing how to deal with trauma. They are trained in knowing how to deal with DEI topics. But just because someone represents the group of an oppressed does not mean they are equipped to have the capacity or even want to. So this needs to stop. This avoidance tactic of it's not for me to handle because I don't know your story is bullshit. This is an opportunity to seek to understand, to educate, to get comfortable in being uncomfortable. Think about it. What makes you so avoidant of listening to people, of understanding why someone might feel oppressed, of looking at systemic inequities? This is happening all over the place. And to think like people can just magically like brush themselves off and be like, okay, here's how I want to be helped. Well, guess what? They've probably done that and been knocked down a couple times, probably their whole life. So think about where have you not opened doors? Where have you made the inequities worse? Where have you created an unrealistic expectation for people who have been traumatized? Where are you perpetuating trauma? It happens. It's, it's happening all the time. It's called microaggressions. And it's this asleep at the wheel, lack of responsibility of, well, I didn't say anything racist, so I'm okay. No. If you're not part of the solution and making people feel included like they belong, it's not about whether or not you used a racial slur or not. If you're not creating and maintaining and actively pursuing a psychologically safe environment, you are probably creating the opposite because it doesn't just happen out of nowhere because you pick the right people and because they get along. This is something that needs to be nurtured and cultivated on an ongoing basis because these microaggression behaviors are what will kill your culture and it's probably what you're seeing when we have friction. If you notice people are going quiet that used to speak up, if you notice that people aren't engaging the same way, if they're burning out, or only a small clique of people in your organization are having the best time ever and having chill vibes and good vibes, that's not a shared experience. That's not your culture. That is a small subset of it who are benefiting from the culture. So if you want a truly equitable, inclusive, and diverse organization, it doesn't start because you have a hiring process that knows how to recruit people that look and sound a certain way. It doesn't. You have to create an environment that wants people to come in, that wants to create safety, that wants to support people, and that also enforces boundaries when it's not happening. Because guess what? You can recruit in all the people you want. You can have so much visual diversity, but guess what? It takes three seconds for people to realize what you're really up to. They know when they're not safe. And so that all-star talent that came in super excited, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to get really angry or they're going to get really sad. And either way, they're probably not going to be that all-star employee. You know, this is not something that uh, that can be ignored anymore. And I and I and I I'm actually kind of surprised that we we haven't you know peeled the lid off. And it took until 2020 for us to really blow it up. Um, I'm glad it did. But holy crap! Like this whole complacency for status quo because people are uncomfortable with talking about about diversity. I I mean I I've seen it. I've heard it myself. And I'm just like whoa. 
And I realize it is because I've been out of the loop, but I mean, I've worked for companies where literally there were goals because uh, we hired one person over another because they're like, well, it looks better on paper. It looks better for our quota. Like these are human effing beings. And it's, I was just aghast by it. I was like, that is so messed up. Like, how about we hire, hire the people that are best fit? Well, you know, Lauren, we have to we have to have visual diversity. They actually said we have to have visual diversity. So here, case in point, and this was not that long ago. So, what's the solution? The solution is clean up your own backyard first and foremost. Look at where you have psychological safety breakdowns. Get your team right, and then you can start building and look at how are you inviting people in to work at your company. How are you moving people up within your company? How are you developing talent? How are you giving people opportunity? Not just a small subset, but how do the people that work for your company know that they have the ability to grow and to grow with you? And if that's not the case, then you know, get clear on what you want. Because you, know, you can have a lot of lawsuits if you want. You can have some growth. But the, the numbers don't lie. The companies that have more diversity have more equity, they have more inclusion, and they have a lot more profitability. So these are just kind of archaic belief systems that we've gotten really lazy about. And uh, it's time to clean up. I know it's fall, but I think spring cleaning is in order. Um, so I highly suggest, if I have not plugged it enough, the four stages of psychological safety from Dr. Timothy Clark. I am a certified coach with them, in addition to all the other coaching certifications I have. But I have been using this with every single one of my clients. It's something that I think is really important to get language around, to understand, not just throw the term around, but really sink into it and understand the different uh, the different levels and the different behaviors that go in there where there are dysfunctions that are either taking away or destroying your trust um, because everything is on a spectrum everything is nuanced it, this is not a binary either or this is a work in progress and so with that there is opportunity but there's work involved there's absolutely work involved so this is not an easy fix of we're just going to put a tile up on our social media and everything's better but this is the start of a conversation that will hopefully open your eyes in a new way so that we're not defensive but we're open and we're receptive to new ways of doing things. And with that, I'm going to get off my soapbox. And uh, if you have questions, feel free to write in around psychological safety or anything else that I might have uh, pushed on or, or any of that stuff. Learn at Spitfire Coach. And if you like this, feel free to share it. Uh, leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.